morning, everyone. This remote's still up here. I love this thing. I don't know why. Just you. Um, good to see you. Thank you so much. Like Pastor Dylan and I, too, have come through the COVID journey. It's kind of weird. Like, you guys remember mono in high school? Like, you got mono, ooh, the kissing disease, right? I was like, I want to catch that. I want that disease, you know, <laughs> as a teenager. But it, the thing about mono is, is it exhausts you. All you want to do is sleep. And so if you were to take the flu and mono, mix them together and pick the weirdest symptoms from those and then add a loss of taste and a loss of smell, that's kind of COVID when it's on a, a moderate level. And so for the past two weeks, uh, I was just, even now I'm still kind of in recovery um, and uh, we're no longer contagious. The Board of Health called us every day, which was great. And um, after it was all said and done, we, we just, I, even now, like, taking a walk to go up the steps. By the time I get there, I'm like all winded and, and uh, still wanting to sleep a lot, but I'm feeling stronger and stronger every day. And uh, we're alive and well, and um, thank God. And at the end of the day, it's just a statistic. I know we go around, we're like, you know, 90%, 98% of the people that get it recover. And, and that's truth. That's really truth. And we, we need to move forward with this really for the rest of our lives. We're going to have to face this. This is the new flu. You know, every year everybody gets a flu shot or a pneumonia shot. And um, this is just going to be one of those things we deal with for the rest of our days. But uh, grateful that we're getting closure to it. And um, wasn't as bad as we had thought, thank goodness. And, uh, but I have elderly parents. My father and mother are both 80, and uh, their health's really frail, so we're a little bit sad we won't see them this Thanksgiving, but uh, hopefully soon we'll have a grip on this and we'll be uh, out and about. But thank you so much. It was nice to be able to pause and then open back up and have people back in here. And, and uh, if you didn't see the announcement that we put out, we purchased two fogger machines. They're backpack foggers, and they are industrial designed, like if all of a sudden a, a lethal pathogen busted out in the, in the train station, they use these things with the chemicals inside of it to spray everything to be able to say free and clear. Hospitals use these kind of things. And so it's, uh, it's really great what we have in place. And even when we contacted the Board of Health, yet again, when we did this, they said there's no need for the daycare to shut down. There's no need for you to shut down. You, uh, if people abide by what you're doing is saying that, you know, keep six feet, wear masks during the service, unless you're up, you know, doing what you're doing on the platform and you have enough space, you're fine. Um, sanitize because, you know, someone, you just never know. Someone could put a little spittle there, you touch it and, you know, rub your eye. But for the most part, they said you could have somebody come through here with COVID and you'd be okay. Uh, but we're not satisfied with that. And so last week we were just wanted to make sure that the musicians were all right and the media team was all right. All of them were around us and close and we just didn't want to perpetuate that. So that pause for a week was really, really helpful. And uh, for the most part, I don't think anyone from the team here contracted it. And so um, thank you so much in advance for your patience. Well. Let's open up in prayer and continue our series on Simple Gospel, the book of Romans. I'm going to catch this fly. Watch this. Got him. $1,000 for me. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for today. Pray for your word and you would encourage us. We have gifts. You've given them to us. We're not gifted we have gifts, and they were meant to be given. 
And so I just pray that today you'd encourage people who normally would not step out, step up, would feel in the shadow of somebody else's shining to realize that we all have great things to contribute. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we, as we've been going through the book of Romans, I just felt since two weeks we've, we've paused on this, just to bring this back to the beginning. There is no greater gift than the gift of Jesus Christ. There just isn't. The idea that you could have a debt that you could never pay and that God removes that from you. The idea that we have a, a disease that's called sin that uh, does not allow us into the presence of God's holiness and the fact that he sent his son to exchange his holiness for our unholiness. I mean, who, let's talk about the short end of the deal. And so God gives us our holiness. It's so important for you to understand that it is not your holiness that makes you holy. You know, sometimes we think about holiness as like when you're a kid, right? And your parents take you to church. This has kind of been good. This was how I used to do church. You know, my, my mom, my dad, we went to, to mass and we all had to sit together. And it was like the second that we started moving too much, you'd get that look that was just like, if you move again, I'll kill you. And we were just like, and we were like, I'm being holy. I'm being still. I'm being good. You know, it, holiness isn't something that you do. It's something that you're declared because you never had it. You never will. It's given to you as a gift from God. And so God hands you his holiness and he declares you holy, not because you are, but because he is and he gives you that holiness. And so with that, with that gift of holiness, now there's a, there's a problem in that you love God and you appreciate him because he's forgiven you for your sin. You admit, you know, that I, I'm sick, I have a disease, I need your forgiveness, and God says, here's the cure, and, and he hands you that holiness, but then we start getting busy and we start working and we start trying to be on best behavior, and we hear this lie in the Pentecostal church or in the Catholic church where legalism abounds and says, your God loves you, he died on the cross for you, he forgives you of your sin, but for the rest of your life, you better work it out, because if you're not good enough, long enough, you're not going to make it. And that is what we call legalism. You see, if you have no desire to be the right person for God, if you have no desire to change, that, that would be something where I would question, did a real transaction between you and heaven happen? But if you have a desire to be the right person, but you struggle to become that person, that doesn't mean that God discards you as, as, as trash and, and not worthy. And holiness isn't this thing that you put your best mental and physical and emotional effort into and you work yourself into it like an exercise program to fitness. No, it's something that God declares that you are. And now out of gratitude in your heart for what God's done for you, you, you realize I was dead in my sin, when Jesus went on the cross, I went with him. When he went in the tomb, I was buried. And then when he resurrected, I came out. And I didn't come out in my own righteousness or my own life. I came out to live for God. And I'm going to do the best that I can. And I'm not going to get this perfect. And it's not about perfection. It's about walking in the direction towards him. So if, you, if you're one of those people that you say, you know what, I love God. I, I, I go to church once in a while. And, that, and, and, and God isn't, an, isn't a consuming part of your life. And that the second that you walk out of church, 
that you have zero desire to restrain things that you know that he would classify as wrong or sin. You have no desire or no brokenness over when you behave a certain way that you know is inappropriate or sinful or shameful. I'd question if you really had that transaction with him because when genuine salvation takes place, there's this strain that happens where you, you're grateful and you're, you want to be that right person. But now all of a sudden you begin to ache when you aren't the right person. And that begins what Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 kind of bring in on, on sanctification. Sanctification works like this. Paul says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Well, I mean, what, what do you mean walk according to the flesh? I mean, I'm walking right now. How do you know if I'm walking according to the flesh or according to the Spirit? And, and it's the difference between, like, if I go to church on Sunday, but then I'm going to my mistress's house on Sunday night, and I'm going to, I'm going to, to I'm, I'm totally uh, wreaking havoc in my home on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I feel no guilt, no shame. In fact, I, in fact I'm just filled with pride for my behavior. Something's wrong there. That's, that's not walking according to spirit. It's walking according to flesh. But if I'm walking according to spirit and I, I find myself and I'm talking to God and I'm in his word and I'm letting him speak to me and I'm listening to him and I'm, I'm trying to live out these things, but every once in a while, an attitude I used to have creeps back in. A behavior I used to have surfaces back up. And when it happens, I immediately pause and I'm like, man, Lord, please forgive me. Or here's a real original one for you. You turn to your family and you say to them, hey, I'm so sorry for behaving the way that I behaved. Uh, this week, I actually, uh, I was sarcastic about something and in the office. And as I, as I drove away for the day, I picked up my phone and I, I, I paused and I texted Pastor Dylan. I was like, hey, Pastor Dylan, I said, listen, um, the way that I acted there, that was totally inappropriate. And I want you to know, I, I'm sorry, that wasn't becoming of somebody of my position. And you deserve better from me than that. And he said, apology accepted. This is what I admire about you. Thank you. You know, I don't, I don't like that whole kind of like, hey, I'm sorry. And somebody's like, no, 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 no. There's nothing to be sorry for. No, actually, it is a part of the Christian walk according to the spirit to acknowledge when we, when we make mistakes, but that we bring them to God. And guess what? He reinstitutes his holiness yet again in us, not ours, because we don't have it, but he makes us holy. He declares us holy. And now I don't want to do the right thing because I have to or because I'm afraid that if I make a mistake, I might not make it. But now I begin to realize that even me doing and being the right person is a gift from God just as much as him forgiving me of my sin. And the more that I do it, the more he inspires me to want to be more like him. And then sooner or later, the things you used to do, you don't do them anymore. 
The things you used to say, you don't say them anymore. The way you used to act and the attitude you used to have, you, you don't have them anymore. Or, or their frequency becomes less and less. And this is the lie of legalism that says that a Christian is somebody that says a sinner's prayer and then never makes a mistake for the rest of their life because you have been transformed into a new person and how dare you make a mistake. And that could not be further from the truth. And it actually, in the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul gives some of the harshest language to that kind of gospel and he says that's a false gospel you see god created grace in our life so that we would become the right people out of gratitude and love but at the same time he makes these safety clauses in there should we sin so that grace can abound no what are you stupid are you crazy of course not just because god's going to forgive you doesn't mean you have a right to go out and do it and then he's like uh uh, shall I sin because I'm no longer under law but under grace? He's like, no, of course not. Does it, you know, people always say, I'm free from the law. Jesus set me free from the law. Well, really, does that mean now I can go out and murder and commit adultery and steal and lie and that's acceptable and Jesus set me free from that? No, that's not what it's saying. God set us free from living a life perfect under the law to be able to get access to heaven and he's given us his righteousness and he graces over our lack and our fault. And now he invites us to become the right person through time, through relationship. The more you hang out with him, the more you become like him. And I don't know anybody that would do that for me. It's beautiful. That's why it's called Amazing Grace. Think about that the next time you sing that song. It's just beautiful. But now he goes in and he starts in chapter 12 where we left off and he says this, I appeal to you therefore brothers and sisters by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Here's what is powerful and truthful and so important for you to understand to now move from knowing God and finding freedom to begin to discover purpose and make a difference in this world. You'll get stuck in the first two steps of, our, of the whole reason why we exist. You'll, you can come to church and know God. You can ask for forgiveness and find freedom, but you could get stuck there and miss the life and the purpose of why you're in this world if you never discover purpose of how God has made you and why he's made you and what he's made you for and and make a difference if you don't catch this truth that you need to continually present yourself to God faults and all you continually need to come back to his greats not groveling but embracing it, it appreciating it I, I often look in the Old Testament and when I say sacrifices in the Old Testament most people think Oh man, Jesus did away with that whole system. But if you look at the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the majority of them had nothing to do with sin. They had to do with keeping a right and close relationship with God. If you lacked peace in your life, you came before him with the peace offering, the shalom offering. If you wanted to dedicate yourself deeper to God, you offered the Holocaust offering, the whole burnt offering. If you wanted to acknowledge and ask God for blessing in your life, 
and your resource. If you had a business, a farmer would offer up the grain offering. And it would, it would all of these things to say, God, I'm dependent on you in every single area of my life. And it's amazing to me how I watch so many people attend church on a Sunday and go their own way on Monday through Saturday. And they don't realize that if you want to experience the fullness of life that God has for you, God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you with a career. He wants to bless you with somebody that loves you. He wants to bless you with a family. He wants all those things for you, but they're only realized and received and retained with blessing when they're pursued and given to you. As James says, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. That we acknowledge that all of those things come by the very hand of God. And which means that I need to continually present myself before God. And it's crazy that he actually words it in such a way. He's, he's basically, Paul in 12, 1 and 2, he's saying, you don't even, you think you know what the will of God is, but you really don't know what it is. And it's not until you start your day, week, month, year on an ongoing basis saying, God, I know what I want and I know how to get it. And I know what I want to do. And I have my plan, but I want to bring it before you and say, maybe that's not what you want for me. And if you want, whatever you want me to do, make it clear. You know, 90% of life is doing what's placed right in front of you. If you find a need and meet it, that's the call and will of God for your life today. You, you, you know, with a career path, with an educational opportunity, with all of those kind of things, it's making the most of the opportunities that are yours. If you have an idea that you want to do something, but it's not a reality, that's not, the will, that's not the will of God. It's not a real opportunity. It has to be a real opportunity. But if you make the most of what God places in front of you, he has a way of bringing about those great things. But until you surrender your heart and your mind to him, and your desires and your drives, they don't always want what God wants. Sometimes they want what you want. And like my father used to say, be careful what you chase because you might catch it. So we continue to come before God and say, here's my life, a living sacrifice, Lord. Do with it what you want. I just look at my life now and I'm like, oh my goodness, some of the great places and things and that now, even in my life now being here, but also the entire journey that I've had, I never could have made those things happen. I'm so grateful that I yielded to God's timing and to God's will. And uh, it, to find God's will, it requires that you, you sacrifice your life in worship to him. Which brings us to where we are now, Romans 12, 3 through 8. Listen to this. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we must have, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion of our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, 
the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans after he wrote the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a mess. The, in fact, the Corinthians, in, in the time of the New Testament, there was really a caste system. You were either born in aristocracy and wealth, or you, you weren't. And even if you came into money, if you, were not, if you were not of the right bloodline, you were looked as a second-rate citizen. And the city of Corinth is a bunch of former slaves and people who actually took advantage of the location of the city. It was a great port city. They would bridge stuff over the island across to the, from the Aegean Sea into the Mediterranean, and they would, they would benefit from that whole trade transaction. Out of all of the places in the ancient world, all over the, the, the Isthmus of Corinth, they have giant monuments to people like, this is dedicated to so-and-so who did such-and-such such for this and that and the other thing. It was almost like these brag markers all over the place. You don't see those things like you do at Corinth. And it's almost like they were like saying, look at me, I'm special, I'm important. I did something, you know, it's like all of a sudden they got money I, I, and all of a sudden they, they felt that now, now I'll be accepted, now I'll be important. You know, make sure that you're trying to get accepted by the right people for the right reasons. And I, I heard a great saying from Dave Ramsey that it, there's a class we teach here called financial peace, which is all about stewardship. It's not what you have, it's what you do with what you've got. But he said, money doesn't make you a better person. It just magnifies who you already are. And the Corinthians were just, became so filled with themselves. This phrase over and over again, where the Apostle Paul says, says pride puffs up, but love builds up. You guys are so puffed up. You, you want to be recognized. And he had to literally take chapter, Roman chapter 12, 13, and 14 and write to them and say, you're running around like you're these special gifted people, but you're just arrogant, self-centered, and trying to be the center of attention. And the whole reason why the love chapter is where it is in Corinth is because he's talking about the abuses of self-centeredness and self-proclaimed authority before and after in chapter 12 and 14 because these people had an arrogant issue. And that's why Paul in Romans 12, now here, he's kind of echoing his further conversation. He realizes there's a danger for you to inflate yourself when you have some giftings. And he says, don't think of, of yourselves more highly than you ought to, but with sober judgment. That word, so, that word sober judgment is a word that we use today in our legal system when you write a will. It says that uh, I, Paul Conway, being of sound mind, write this will. In other words, I didn't have a moment of insanity. I wasn't manipulated by anyone. I was in my right state of mind. I hope you don't mind me sharing this, hon. It's, it's, it's a good story, it's, but it fits what we're doing. When my wife was a little girl, my father-in-law and mother-in-law rented from this really, really great gentleman. His name was Vinny, and he lived in this house. And he just spent his whole days in this compost garden in the back, shoveling manure and planting plants. And my father-in-law is such a great guy. I mean, you want to talk about somebody that just believes that people are the point, and he's low to no drama, and he's just goes with the flow. And uh, Vinny got sick and went to the hospital. And so he, when he was in the hospital, he showed up and he walks in. He's like, Vinny, what can I do? You know, can I take care of your garden? Can we, you know, can we, can we do anything for you? And he's like, Mike, he says, I'm dying. And I want to leave everything to you. I've got villas all throughout Europe and I want to leave it all to you. And my father-in-law was just like, Vinny, it's not the point here. I'm here for you. You're going to get better. Don't worry about it. My father-in-law left and that night he passed away. 
and that's why I'm angry at my father-in-law to this day. No, I'm just kidding. Well, the truth of the matter is that there were some distant relatives that had he done that, they would have contested him as not being of sound mind. So the, the, the gift probably wouldn't have stayed there, but, but it really kind of makes that point of what is it to be of sound mind? You see, if you, if you have a gift, it should actually make you humble. You know how you have some people and you talk with them and they just, the more they talk, the more it seems like they're sounding like they're humble, but the more proud they sound versus when you're talking to somebody and they're not abasing themselves, but you know that they're kind of like, what, what I have is a gift and, and I just like giving it and I like making people happy and I like blessing other people. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, be humble with your gifting, but here's the truth of the matter. I think our church is such a beautiful community. You are such a beautiful community of people. I, I think the opposite is true of us. To be honest with you, I think there are many of you in this church, there are moments where you feel moved or motivated or, or uh, empathetic or desirous to say something or do something, but rather than stepping out, you say to yourself, oh, that's probably just me. Or, you know what, I don't, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Or, and to be honest with you, this is a beautiful problem that we have that's really easy to solve. And, and it's really spoken clearly where Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace God given us, let us use them. And, you know, in the book of Corinthians, he talks about these spiritual gifts of prophecy and, and, and all of these different kind of things. Like, for instance, uh, he, he says here, he says, if, uh, to let us use them if prophecy in proportion to the faith. Let me, let me give you an example of prophecy. A lot of people try to oversimplify and say, oh, prophecy is just proclaiming God's word. Well, no, not really. That's kind of like teaching or preaching or those kind of things. There is a, there is a, um, there was a season in my life where I knew it was, I wanted to go on and further my education and there were a lot of obstacles in the way, but I just knew that that was always gonna be a part of my life and I, I, I just was afraid because my family is not a family of resource. We never had it, we, a lot of money, we never will probably. And I, I just, we just wanted to do it, but we, we kept praying, God, if we took a step in that direction, it was gonna be a risky step. We were putting things in jeopardy because what if we couldn't pay the bills? What if we couldn't find the jobs? What if we couldn't uh, make the grade? What if I couldn't, you know, what if and what if? And I just was going back and forth and um, uh, I was at this service and um, the preacher that was speaking is a, a very dear, dear person in my life. And, and I was just like, oh, if God's going to speak to me, he's going to speak through them. And they preached. It was like everything just went over my head and my heart. And I was just so discouraged. I went up to the front of the room and I just bowed my head and I was, I was praying and weeping. There were thousands of people at the service. And, and all of a sudden I just was like, well, you know what? When you don't know what to do, just keep doing what you know. And I turned around, and as I turned around, I bumped into this big, gigantic guy from Texas. He's Texan, and he grabs me, and he pulls me in close, you know, which freaks me out, because I'm from New England. Like, we don't touch people too much, right? And he just, like, pulls me in, and he goes, he leans over into my ear, he goes, son. Now, this is what my wife and I are praying on a regular basis in our home. Lord, show us the next step. 
Lord, let it, we just want to know what the next step is, because if you show us, we'll take it. That's, that's what we're praying in private over and over again. He goes, son, you've been asking God what the next step is for your life, but you already know what it is. Just trust him and take it. God wants you to know to take that next step. And after that, I walked away and I enrolled into seminary and we began that journey years and years ago. What's that? That's, that's a prophetic word. What if that guy just was like, I don't know that kid. I'm not going to say that. You ever have a moment where you just feel like a Bible verse or an encouraging phrase or thought? You're looking at somebody and you're just like, I just want to help them. I want to say it. And your heart's beating and beating. Sometimes that's God motivating you to step out in that gift and, and prophetically speak into somebody's life. Now, the great thing about gifts, too, is, is that they're all in submission to leadership. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 37 and 38, he said, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing him are a command of the Lord. And if anyone doesn't recognize this, he is not recognized. There are people that have come up to me and been like, the Lord told me this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, that ain't the Lord, that's your ego. And um, thank you very much. And God bless you and go your way. But most of the time, what I found is, is that usually people, when they feel moved to share something and that gift is at work, it comes in a very humble package. There's a, a woman in our church who God uses very uniquely and occasionally, and she'll have dreams, and she'll call me up, and she'll be like, Pastor, I just had this dream. And then sometimes I'll tease her, because, you know, it's like, hey, that was just like pepperoni pizza. Like, that was, that's just you getting rid of your extra anxious thoughts, you know? And she'll chuckle, you know? If somebody's like, no, it wasn't. That's God, and you, you need to hear from God. Like, like that's, just, that's just spiritual arrogance. But I remember... When, when it was around February, she was like, Pastor, I saw this band on our stage and there were lights everywhere, like a rock concert, and they weren't our people and they were playing music and you were in the foyer and you put a sign on the wall that said, uh, we're closing for three months. And, and I, I don't know what I mean. Now, she, she didn't know the details of it and it was more disturbing. Like, I feel like, are you going to open up and make our church a rock concert or anything like that? I'm like, don't worry, not on my watch, you know. But I'll never forget when March came around, I had the sign and I put it up on the door. And then as I did that, I looked into the sanctuary and Impact Church was up here with a lot of young people and former students of mine that were helping record their services. We opened up our building to them. And I was like, oh my goodness, God showed somebody in advance what was going to happen. And I, now what, what is that for, you know? It was for God to give us peace to say, I know that difficult times are here, but you're going to be okay. And guess what? Here we are. We're still supporting missionaries. We're still supporting the work of God. We're still helping people. We're still making a difference. We're still attending church. And there's coming a time in the near future where this is all going to lift. And I can't wait until it's back to things as usual. But having different gifts, according to the grace given to us, let's use them. Let's use them. In, this is, a, this is a thought, just track me for a second. This is a little intellectual, but it's a really worthy thought. And it's a pagan thought. I'm going to give you a pagan thought here. In the ancient Greek world, if you were an artist, if you were a painter, you were a sculptor, you were an architect, they believed in the ancient world that the spirit that helped you with your artistic talent was called, listen to this word, a genius. And they believed that the genius of an artist lived within their studio walls. 
And so when an artist produced a great work of art, a great uh, structure, a great idea, they would, say, they would say, man, my genius was really, really with me that day. And then when they did a terrible job with something, instead of them wearing the burden, they were like, I don't know where my genius was, but uh, I could have used them, you know? And that burden lifted. But when, when humanity began to move away from the idea of gods and away from the idea of God as Lord and Savior and Jesus Christ and all gifts coming down from God, and we began to move through the Renaissance and into the Enlightenment, the arrogance of man elevated, and no longer did they call somebody who had a gift partner with something outside of themselves having a genius, but they began to call people geniuses. Albert Einstein is a genius. Leonardo da Vinci is a genius. Now, if I could take that same concept and flip it two ways. One, not just with the word genius, but with the word gift. And not just with a spirit in the ancient world and wall, but the spirit of Christ that lives within us. It's so important for us to understand that we shouldn't really be going around calling people gifted. But we should be looking at what gifts really are, something that we don't possess, but they're given to us for the purpose of distributing to blessing others. How about this? You know what I can't wait for? The, the, the one thing I love about the bank down the road, the Enterprise Bank, this is the reason why they've kept our business for so long. Every time Christmas comes around, they drop off a big box of chocolates. I don't know how, they just, they just know if they send those chocolates, they're there. Now, I could take that gift for myself and just eat all of that chocolate and get a stomach ache and break out with acne, you know, and I just, but instead, you know what we do? We share that. And we, we, they, they give that gift so that we can share it amongst each other. And, and to be honest with you, that's the same thing with the gifts that God gives us. And what's the important gift, right? Is it that person that says, you know what, you're going to be sh shut for three months, but it's going to be okay, and da, da, da. Or, or what's important? Is it my eye that's important when I have a scratch on the back of my neck? I can't look at the back of my neck and make that itch go away, but my pinky can reach it. What's the, more, what's the most important gift? I, it's the one that's necessary. Look at some of the gifts that he talks about here, and he says this. He, says, he, sa he lists them off, and he says, having gifts according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in a proportion of faith, if serving others, if serving in our service. Oh my goodness, I could sit here, I'm afraid to mention names like Karen Savory and Junior and Linda Arcan, and the second I do that, it's like, is he gonna mention me? And I, 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 there, there are more servants than there are time for me to name. Uh, just recently we were talking about like, oh, we gotta get salt and you know, it's a heavy thing and we gotta lug it out there. And usually a lot of my week ends up giving my time to all of these different tasks I have to do and takes away from me preparing for for ministry and connecting with people and empowering people to, to help others. But I, I show up and guess what? Junior showed up, pulled the salt out, put it in the back, and it was ready to go. I didn't even have to do that. And I was like, oh my goodness, that was such a blessing. Here's another one. He says this, he says, in serving, serving, in teaching his teaching to the one who exhorts in his exhortation. You know what exhortation is? It's a word of encouragement or motivation. There are times in my life I, I, where I, I come in here and I'm, 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 I'm 
preaching God's word and encouragement and truth and power comes from God's word, but there are times where I'm given it and I don't have any of it. And I came in here one time and I was feeling very low because of a, of a deficit, deficit season in somebody's life that I was responsible for. And I was just like, what am I doing wrong? Like, like, oh, if I could just go back and change this. Any conversation in your mind that says, like, what could I have done differently? You need to just, like, throw that in the trash. Because if you could do it all over again, what would you do different? That's the wrong statement and question because you don't get to do it again. You do the best with what you can. And I, what can I do? And I just was, and the, this person came up to me and they were like, hey, I, I just felt like God wanted me to tell you that, that you've done a good job. And, and you're not responsible for everything that goes right, and you're not responsible for everything that goes wrong. You're just responsible for being who God wants you to be and doing what he asks you to do. You're doing a good job. That person walked away. They could have given me $1,000. It wouldn't have been as meaningful as that statement was. But that person could have just held that truth in and just said, I don't know, maybe he'd think I'm stupid for saying that. I don't want to bug him. He doesn't need to hear that from me. No. You never know. How many have ever been a place where you're looking at somebody and you see their situation and you can feel their grief and you're just starting to well up with tears and they're not, but you're just looking at them. You know what that is? That's the spirit of God moving you with empathy for that person. Sometimes people can't cry for themselves. They're so raw, but it actually comforts them to see somebody's moved on their behalf. Now, I don't mean this every commercial here on television and, you know, <laughs> just that kind of thing. But, like, when we're, we're watching people that are in the middle of a situation and, and they're within our reach, why not pull them into our grasp and encourage them? Exhortation. Who would have thought of that? And then look at this. I'm going to ask the team to come up here as we close because we're going we're gonna to sing this, the, the song that we started with, to sing hallelujah. I want to give purpose to that in a moment here as I close. But let me just share this. To the one who contributes in generosity. He's talking about a gift of generosity. Now, I believe with all of my heart, both in the Old and New Testament, Scripture is very clear that if, if we want Jesus as our financial planner, we can't, just, we can't just take him as our bankruptcy lawyer. We need to honor God with the first fruits of our life. We need to bring a tenth of what we have to him. This pastor preaches it. And... God has to move you on this kind of thing. But I, that's what I believe. I believe, God, you're going to watch over me financially. And so I've always done that, whether I've had much or I've had little. I don't fifth the tenth. I tenth the tenth and a tenth of what I have. I do it for my gross. There's nothing biblical that says growth or, gross or tithe. I just say, God, you know what? You're greater than the government. I give this to you. But then on top of that, he talks about free will offerings and these kind of things. My wife and I, we make a pledge to missions every year like we do, and we support that because we believe that the greatest message this world will ever hear is Jesus Christ. And we want to do beyond that, to go beyond that. But there's some of you that have a gift of generosity, and it's not always connected to great wealth. And I remember I was in Bible college, and I was teaching, and I, I, I was, we were just barely making it. And it was the coldest winter on record. This had to have been back in like 2010, 11, something like that, nine. I, I don't remember exactly when, but our furnace was giving us trouble. We called in a heating company and the young, this young kid shows up and he says, all set. I had to condemn your unit. 
and uh, you're gonna have to have somebody come in. And I was like, condemn my unit, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, the CO2 levels are a little bit high and uh, you know, it's, it's not healthy, so you really need to change that over. Well, well listen, we'll do that. And we've got, an, we've, got a, we've got a carbon monoxide sensor that'll go off, but can you please turn that back on? Because it's the coldest night in history here tonight. He said, no, sorry, can't do it. And he left. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, what in the world? And he did it through the computer. Like, I was like, that is just so immature. And I'm sitting here feeling like half a man. I can't even take care of my family. What am I going to do? Next day, there was a prayer retreat. And there were about 10 of us at a church, part of a prayer team going away for the entire day and we were praying for God to bless the pastors and God to bless the people and and for foster children in the community and families to grow closer together and God to set people free from addiction and all this different stuff and then finally at the end one of the leaders stopped and said hey we're praying for everybody else let's pray for each other I just want each of you to just share one thing that you're facing right now that if God doesn't help you know it, you don't know how it's going to happen and I was a little bit embarrassed, but I, I was like, I didn't want to share the problem with anyone, but I just said, you know what? I, last night they condemned my, my furnace. We're freezing in my house. Problem is, I don't even know where I'm gonna get the money. I don't even know if I can, I, I got the credit to be able to borrow it. I don't know what to do. And this is what came to my mind. I said, I think I need to stop doing ministry so that I can afford to take care of my family. I mean, that's my responsibility. And one of the couples, this husband and wife that were there, all of a sudden just start dropping tears. And they got up and they said, don't you dare do that. And she opened up her checkbook and she wrote a check for $1,000 and she put it in front of me. And she said, the last thing God wants you to do is anything but ministry. We believe in you. We've known you for years, Pastor Paul, here. And then all of a sudden somebody reached in their wallet and they pulled all the cash and they said, here's that. And then another person pulled out a check and, and finally, a long story short, we got just enough money to begin the job and then later on through God's grace, we were able to get the rest of the money to finish the job. And I was like, I'm so grateful that I didn't stop. Why, how? Because somebody had a gift of generosity. Listen, having gifts that are different according to the grace given us, let us use them. You're gifted. You might feel like a shadow in the light of somebody's starlight, but I'll tell you, I would have paid $100,000 for that compliment that that person gave me, exhorting me, saying, God's proud of you, it's okay, you've done well. Sometimes the gift that you think is insignificant is actually critical and crucial. You're gifted. And you were given those gifts to give them away. And you weren't given a genius in your wall. You were given a God and His Spirit that lives in you and wants to change the world through you. And He does it sometimes in the very simplest of ways with hugs and helps and hellos and, and taking the very best of who you are and offering it. Listen, if you say, well, my ministry is my family, if if, the, if, the, if your world is only as big as your family, what a small world that is. There's a reason why it's called the family of God. So we're brothers and sisters in Christ and all of those gifts, Paul says, we are many members of one body of one another. 
which means that when you bless others, you're blessed in return. And one day, when you need that unique and special gift, God knows who and when to send that person your way. And the gift keeps giving. And I wanna encourage you as we sing this song, that we raise a hallelujah. You know what that is? That's, that's the way of saying biblically, God, all of me for you. Deuteronomy, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not talking about we're a mind, we're a body, we're a spirit. No, it's saying, hey, God is on the same page. Every part of who God is, is unified. And every single one of you, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, you give that back up to the God of heaven as a living sacrifice. And then he who has gifts, let us give them and use them and operate in them. And don't you dare think for a second that yours is insignificant because you're the right gift at the right moment. God knows where to put you when. Your blessing, and it is a blessing to be a pastor of a church that isn't Corinthian prideful, but actually is humble and hesitant. Don't hesitate. Step out. Let God use you. Let God love through you. Amen? Let's sing a hallelujah and just say, God, this is our parting prayer, and this is our desire here this week. Our, our altar call and our answers to say, here's my life. In the presence of my enemies, I sing a hallelujah. God bless you.